Now, I always knew my brain worked differently to the average person, but I never understood why. Nice to have that validation that came with the diagnosis and everything in my past started to make sense. My life kind of started to make sense. My kind of mantra in life is nothing about us without us. Certainly with disability, I think people still think they know what we need without asking. It's a really great thing. We're included and we're valued and we bring something additional to the table. Hello and welcome to Inclusive Exclusive, a series on equity, diversity and inclusion brought to you from Heli Business School. Let me introduce myself. I am Dr. Miriam Marra, co-director of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at Heli Business School. In this episode, we are looking at disability and neurodiversity in higher education. And I'm very pleased today to be joined by Letty Bryant, investigator in the group conduct investigation team at Lloyds Bank and Heli Business School alumni, and Nancy Mendoza, who's a press officer at the University of Reading. Thank you for coming today and welcome to you both. So before I let our guests introduce themselves, I just would like to give some context about the topics we are dealing with today. Under the UK Equality Act 2010, individuals are defined as disabled if they have a physical or a mental impairment that has a substantial and long-term negative effect on their ability to carry on with normal activities to be performed on a day-by-day basis. Here, substantial means more than minor and long-term means something that lasts for more than 12 months. People with progressive conditions can also be classified as disabled, where progressive means a condition that gets worse over time, for example, multiple sclerosis. Other conditions like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, known as ADHD, autism, dyslexia and dyspraxia are forms of neurodivergence, but obviously there are others too. Being neurodivergent will often amount to a disability under the Equality Act, even if the person does not consider themselves to be disabled. Importantly and interestingly today, our speakers are here because they have first-hand experience of different form of neurodivergence and physical disability from which they will draw to give us in this podcast a proper overview and insight at a human level on this topic. So I'm turning to you now. Letty, first, would you like to introduce yourself and share a little about yourself, telling us about your learning experience at Heli Business School too? Hello, my name is Letty. So a bit about me and my learning experience I studied with Henley for a postgraduate degree in applied management between 2019 and 2022 alongside working full-time. While studying at Henley with the support of my tutor at the time, I was formally diagnosed with dyslexia, which led to me exploring neurodivergence further as I've always felt different and really struggled when I was at school. I was then further diagnosed with ADHD and although I display each presenting trait, I am high functioning so people can assume my ADHD doesn't impact me much, which is totally not the case. 
Learning has always been a challenge for me, but I'm really pleased that I stuck with the course and graduated with a first class degree, which is something that I didn't believe I could ever achieve. Thank you, Letty. I'm turning now to talk, to introduce uh, Nancy. Nancy, would you like to introduce yourself as well and share a little bit about yourself and your role at the University of Reading? Hi, I'm Nancy. I work in the press office at the University of Reading. I've worked in higher education and close to higher education for a long time now. I have a number of chronic pain issues and I deal with chronic fatigue also, as well as autism and ADHD. Thank you both Letty and Nancy for this introduction and also for sharing with us um, your personal circumstances and conditions. It's very interesting how your different conditions could be more or less visible to others. So I will start now talking a little bit about higher education experience or working in a university experience. So Letty, you, uh, you told us that you have uh, received a diagnosis of dyslexia and AD. HD while you were studying at the university. So I'm very interested now to ask you, given your experience as a mature student on our apprenticeship program with Henley, what support have you had from the university and then from your workplace, Lloyds? And what has helped your learning experience really? And at the same time, what are the challenges that you had to face during your learning experience? So during the induction with Henley, I remember the tutor at the time led a small section on general things like system access and usage. And as part of that, they spoke about the disability advisory service and gave an example of an individual who struggled with their assignments and was diagnosed later in life with dyslexia. Now, I always knew my brain worked differently to the average person, but I never understood why. And when I was at school, there wasn't as much awareness of neurodivergence as there is now. And girls commonly work harder to mask their ADHD traits and often present quite differently to boys, leading to an underdiagnosis in females. So I had had a conversation with my tutor about some of the things that I was struggling with. And they said that the Disability Advisory Service may be able to support me and completed a referral for me. And it wasn't too long before I was referred for an assessment and received a diagnosis of dyslexia. It was really beneficial for me and nice to have that validation that came with the diagnosis of dyslexia and then the ADHD, as I finally had a bit of an answer as to why I struggled with the things that the average person wouldn't. And everything in my past started to make sense. You know, my life kind of started to make sense in a way. And I'm very grateful to Debbie, who was my tutor at the time. And that diagnosis was a huge help in my learning experience. At first, it wasn't something I felt easy to be able to share with people at the university or work. And I think that stems from the fact that although I have supportive friends, family and colleagues, I just feel super lonely in regard to my ADHD and dyslexia. You can have a great support network, but that doesn't mean that I feel supported or more so understood. So when discussing my challenges as a neurodivergent, I still don't feel the person really understands the real impact of what I'm talking about. It just kind of feels like a constant search of trying to be heard and understood. 
Now, during those years at Henley, I was on my own journey to fully understand my dyslexia and latterly ADHD. And I found the support process following the diagnosis quite a challenge. So I went through an extensive three-hour training needs assessment over the phone. And this was at the start of the pandemic in which a host of different tools and software was recommended for me. Now, I have a very short attention span unless I'm in an an intense hyperfocus. So I think there is work to do on one, what tools and software is available to those that need it. And two, the process required to get the support. So Henley were really supportive. I was provided a tutor in my own time who helped me with my writing, my grammar. They were also really supportive with extensions on assignments. However, the process in order to have the extensions granted could be simplified, particularly to support those with additional needs. I think, unfortunately, this all happened at the start of the pandemic and the university were adapting to the teaching online, which also hindered my learning experience. From a work perspective, I joined the Access Network and I met other colleagues with neurodivergence and have since co-led a presentation about dyslexia. And I am a team advocate of bringing inclusion and diversity to life within the workplace. And this has helped me to be more open about my own journey whilst educating and raising awareness to others. Thank you, Letty, for sharing your experience. It's interesting to hear that your diagnosis was a life-changing event and also the importance of being supported by a network of people that can perhaps share the condition and understand you better. I also understand there is an important point of calibrating procedures, training upon the needs of particular individuals. And I think this is a great takeaway for anyone who's um, practicing in teaching and learning and higher education. I'm turning to Nancy now. So Nancy, thanks for sharing the details that your life is affected by a physical disability. Now, given your experience working in higher education and interestingly in research communication, what stage is the UK education sector at from a diversity, disability, inclusion perspective? So from your point of view, does the sector understand, appreciate and incorporate the talents and skills that disabled and neurodiverse people may bring? There's definitely still work to be done in terms of actually including and valuing colleagues who are dealing with disability or neurodiversity in the sector. I think some institutions are doing better than others. Certainly, I mean, I relate I relate to a lot of what Letty's saying about kind of diagnosis being a sort of access to making sense of life, but it can also be isolating, as Letty said. My experiences in the past have not always been fantastic. It's very easy, I think, as a disabled person to feel like an inconvenience or like our needs are perhaps beyond what's reasonable to expect. Um, And I think that's a common sort of internalised ableism. So I think, you know, I've had experiences where perhaps I need something very simple in terms of accommodation, like taking a light bulb out from over my desk because I'm very light sensitive, generally have a lot of sensory issues. Now, you wouldn't think that that 
would be a big ask. But I certainly have had the experience where an organisation couldn't get their act together just to take a light bulb out. So arriving at the University of Reading, where I was aware that a report had been carried out just before I joined, actually, on disability and neurodiversity, which now has a working group for implementation, which I've been able to become part of. The thing about that report and about the way that process of applying its recommendations has gone, which really gives me a lot of comfort, is that it's coming from a place of what do people with different points of view and different life experiences bring to a workplace that is enriching, that makes us better at what we do? I think, you know, higher education is intrinsically involved with research and certainly University of Reading is a very research intensive university. You know, if you're If you don't have a diversity of workforce, then how can you ask the right questions in research? My kind of mantra in life is nothing about us without us. And certainly with disability, I think people still think they know what we need without asking. And for that to be different in at the University of Reading and in other higher education institutions now in general is, is a really great thing. It's, it's not only better for us as disabled people to feel that we're included and we're valued and we bring something additional to the table because of our disability, not that we lack something or we ask for too much in the way of accommodations or, you know, like that. It's, yeah, I think the sector as a whole probably still has quite a way to go. I think the University of Reading is ahead of some and probably behind others. But for me, arriving about a year ago with the university, it was very refreshing to find that, you know, not only am I valued for the skills and experience I have through my work at the interface between research and the news media, but actually the additional stuff that I'm bringing is is of value and it makes us do better work. Thank you, Nancy. I'm pleased to hear that you have good ideas about the disability and neurodiversity review we conducted at the University of Reading. I'll get back to that a bit later. And um, it's really interesting how you both think that uh, um, diagnosis really helps to make sense of life, although obviously creates then also a sense of isolation. From a university standpoint, I think, yes, procedure and processes for accommodated needs must be streamlined and they have to become faster. Um, jumping a little bit to the teaching and learning experience and going back to Letty, um, I'm very interested to know your experience with uh, digitalization of teaching and learning, which is something that us in teaching and learning are experiences as a whole. Uh, higher education is progressively moving online with teaching delivery, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic struck. What impact does this have on learning for students affected by conditions like ADHD and dyslexia, like yourself? And what inclusive practices in teaching have helped your own learning experience? If you can elaborate about this a bit, please. 
online learning through the pandemic had a really big negative impact for me. So those with ADHD can often struggle with attention and can thrive in practical learning, which there wasn't a lot of in the online delivery. Now with ADHD in an academic setting, talking and doing is how many of us learn. So if I'm sat in a learning environment, whether that be at university or work, and there isn't any stimulation around me, it's really difficult to concentrate on what you are being taught. It can be really simple things such as, I don't know, maybe I want to ask a question, but I find it really hard to judge the timing in an online environment. And if a question comes to my head, I just want to blurt it out. So my main focus in that moment is telling myself, don't blurt it out, don't interrupt anyone. And that is all I am focusing on. Therefore, I am missing all of the content, but also not actually asking my question as the time that I've spent trying to ensure that I don't interrupt people, the topic of the conversation has then moved on. Pre-COVID, in the face-to-face delivery, we had a lot of group work, we had breakouts and tasks, which really helped with engagement. Henley were really supportive and were able to get me copies of books in addition to having the online material. I think some suggestions to improve inclusive practices would be to actively pair tutors that have a good understanding and awareness of neurodivergence with students that are neurodivergent. A really important one for me is to give verbal feedback on assignments as standard so that the student really understands the feedback. And I say this because individuals with dyslexia can struggle with interpretation And individuals with ADHD can struggle with emotional dysregulation and rejection sensitivities. Now, the rejection element could be that you've had feedback on an assignment that actually wasn't that bad, but it feels like the end of the world. So having that verbal delivery, I think, could really help. I also think making teachers aware of any students that are neurodivergent without the student needing to declare to all could help so that the teacher can implement things to help those students, particularly when delivery is online. There's also things like bionic fonts that work by strategically bolding parts of words to make text easier to process. Having documents with extensive text on an off-white background can support with dyslexia. And I think I mentioned earlier, the Disability Advisory Service could provide better software and tools and more suitable tools to support those with additional needs. Thank you so much, Letty. Such a rich answer and lots of food for thought and recommendation for all of us who work in digital inclusivity and accessibility of learning designs in higher education. That also reminds me of what Nancy has said before, nothing about us without us. That's really true. Uh, Nancy, I'm turning to you to talk a little bit about um, a specific condition, which is autism. I've recently uh, looked at the statistics um, for the UK and uh, 20 2021 data were showing that only 22% of um, autistic adults are in some kind of employment in the UK compared to 47% of the wider uh, con- 
category of disabled people. So I'm really thinking about how to help our students affected by autism in their transition from education to employment. So I'm interested to know, for example, what would be your advice to an autistic student looking to forge a career in research or, for example, research communications? And on a wider level, how can universities and businesses become more inclusive in this area, perhaps through our career services? Yeah, the world of work for autistic people can be extremely excluding. It's very difficult when you are dealing with communication challenges, sensory issues. You may have other kinds of neurological processing challenges going on. Often more than one kind of neurodivergence also. So going into the world of work presents a huge number of challenges for somebody who is autistic. I think the biggest one is just how many unknowns there can be, how much change, you know, the fact that, you know, you might have your day kind of planned out in front of you, but something happens, and that can happen in any field of work, that diverts you from your plan and from the task that you're on and for an autistic person that can be extremely stressful and in many workplaces you know that happens a lot research communication you know not least although there are roles I think within research communication that are a little bit more predictable I think you know we also have a lot of talents and a lot of skills that come partly from existing in the world as a neurodivergent person. I think for me, you know, having spent my whole career in comms might seem like a strange thing for an autistic person to do, given that, you know, one of the areas in which we find ourselves challenged is in social communication I think particularly as someone who was assigned female at birth and and socialised as a girl, I and many other people like me, you know, became a tiny psychologist, anthropologist, sociologist as a child and just started kind of observing people and trying to trying to sort of work out how to how to human properly we've already said you know the experience of being neurodivergent can be really isolating and a lot of people do talk about just you know feeling very out of place and very alienated and you know like we're not properly humaning in the way that people expect us to so we become very observant and I think you know we we learn uh, particularly women and, and assigned female at birth envy people are able to apply what we've learned just through observation and through understanding what makes people tick to jobs like research communication where we're trying to reach audiences and we, you know, we always need to think about where those audiences are at, what they already know, the things that are important to them, what motivates them. And I, th- I think actually as, as autistic people, we're often in, in a good position to do that. In terms of the transition from higher education to work, it's tricky because, you know, the ideal thing would be to know where you're going to go and work after university, 
to have lots and lots of training in the kind of social conventions of the workplace, which I think is something we don't necessarily do in career services. So what's expected of you when you write an email to somebody senior? What's expected of you in a meeting where there are eight people around a table versus what's expected to you of you in an all-staff seminar. That's the thing that's probably most useful from a neurodivergence point of view is just lots and lots and lots of preparation, the ability to, you know, visit an employer to be given maybe a virtual tour of the site, to have maps, to understand you know not only where is the canteen but who uses it and how and and what you know what are you supposed to do when you walk in can you go and join a group of people should you sit on your own like it it's it's that level of detail that gives us the confidence to just exist in those spaces so I think you know helping with the transition is very much about preparing people for those things those things, those things that are common in in all workplaces, but also to look at, you know, specific opportunities for internships where there is a possibility of a job at the end so that someone can become familiar and then, you know, potentially carry on into employment. All of that said, you know, still it may be challenging. I think we live in a world that is very much designed to give advantage to people who are neurotypical and they're often in the workplace isn't the kind of flexibility that we need to be able to really thrive and that's you know again something that I've been really really impressed and happy about since coming to the university is that there is particularly after the pandemic there is this understanding that hybrid working actually can be a really good thing. So I don't come into the office every day because the office environment isn't always the best environment for me. It can get busy and noisy and the lights bother me and it's hot and, you know, I'm just distracted by my physical sensations a lot of the time. So working from home can really help and I think that's, you know, that's something that yeah, obviously not not all jobs can be done from home. You know, I can't I can't scan someone's shopping from my bed if I'm having a bad day. But with the job that I do, I can work from my bed if I'm having a bad day. And I can work at different times of day. I mean, I think there's there's something very common with ADHD where I think a lot of us have a slightly skew-if circadian rhythm where our bodies tend to want to sleep later. So we tend, you know, if I was left to my own devices, I would sleep from 2am to 10am. That's kind of what my body wants to do. But that doesn't fit with a world that is kind of stuck on Monday to Friday, nine to five. So, you know, again, for me, having the flexibility where if I don't turn up for work until 11 o'clock is not a problem and even to the extent that you know if someone arranges a meeting at first thing in the morning I can now with the support of my line manager and you know the head of corporate comms say 
do you know what? Actually, there's a real risk that I won't manage to turn up for this meeting if we do it, you know, nine o'clock or 9.30. And if it's possible to move it later, like my colleagues will, they understand, they want me to be present. That in turn helps me feel secure and included. I think a lot of autistic people do struggle in the workplace because we're not clear on kind of our place and our value and, you know, how people feel about having us there. And I think, you know, those indications that, like, I'm worth accommodating (laughs) are very, very valuable. Well said, Nancy. Really very interesting. You brought in the implication of gender on living the disability experience and neurodiversity experience. And also you touched upon something very interesting, which is the the need for lots of detailed preparation, explanation for uh, autistic people to understand the workplace and the world of work. But I'm also happy to hear how the flexibility that the university and other workplaces are allowing after the pandemic come across as a plus for people affected by these conditions. I have now a question to, let's say, for both of you. This time is more about your championing role. So I wanted to ask you about your professional roles and you championing disability inclusivity within your organization. So Letty, you have been supported through your learning journey by one of the nation's larger financial institutions. And Nancy, I know that, as you mentioned before, you are part of the implementation team for the action plan coming out of the review on disability and neurodiversity at the University of Reading. Do either of you have any thoughts on whether we need to reframe at all the discussion about disability and neurodiversity within our organisations? I think neurodiversity is moving up in a lot of organisations' agendas. The importance of diversity of thought has been a hot topic over recent years, showing how important it is to get people with different perspectives, backgrounds and experiences, you know, in a room to create more innovation and creativity. Those who are neurodivergent fit into this, given that we literally think differently. However, it can't be forgotten that although neurodiversity covers everybody, as we're all different individuals with different backgrounds and experiences, those with a neurodivergent condition do have additional challenges and struggles. You know, I think Nancy touched a bit on this. Hiring processes, management practices and workspaces are often designed with neurotypicals in mind. A prime example, an open plan office has amazing benefits for collaboration, but can be problematic for those with specific sensory issues. So I think more education and awareness of neurodivergence in the workplace and at universities will ensure everyone is better equipped to support neurodivergent people and enabling and facilitating a culture where those individuals feel able to bring their true selves to work. One bit of advice that I read recently is learn to fit into a neurodivergence world, not to get them to fit into yours. And I really liked that. Nancy, would you like to add anything to her brilliant answer? So the question was about implementation of new ways of being in in the workplace, right? I mean, I'd second everything that Letty has said. Yeah, I think the key thing, again, that we're talking about here is is flexibility, I think. There's a different 
solution to being in a challenging environment for every neurodivergent person and every single person is is going to have a, a different need but there are some common approaches to supporting people that are really great and and having a network of people within an organization who deal with similar sorts of challenges can be really helpful for peer support but also to speak with a louder voice about the sorts of changes and, and accommodations that you know we would like to see i think as well what's interesting about some of the work that goes on around inclusion and i you know i am thinking about the universities report on on disability and neurodiversity is that there needs to be an approach that says how do we improve this workplace for all people and i think it's easy to forget that sometimes the changes that you make for someone who's neurodivergent whether that be flexibility whether that be not having important complicated meetings first thing in the morning whether that be adjusting the harshness of the lighting in an open plan office whether that be you know just having the openness as a team to say you know actually when you spray deodorant in the office that can distract me for a good half an hour and get in the way of what I'm doing so perhaps you could spray deodorant when you go to the bathroom or when you finish at the gym instead and you know to have the kind of culture where someone's going to go oh I didn't realize that would be a problem for you thanks for letting me know I won't do that again is you know it, it sounds like a simple thing but in a lot of ways it's very radical people don't like being told what to do they don't like you know having to change their behavior because someone's making a fuss about it so there's a lot that can be done culturally as well as you know thinking about actual kind of solutions to put in place so I think it's important to think very holistically when we think about how to make the most of the disabled and neurodivergent people that we have around us, then, you know, have it's important to, you know, have a little imagination, but probably listen more than you speak when you're thinking about how to, to make changes and improvements. Agreed. So it's all about culture, reshaping the behaviour of people, listening more, That's all we have time for today, but I really want to thank you so much, Letty and Nancy, for your time and for what has been a very interesting discussion with so much insight into your personal life experiences. And to all of you, thank you for listening. This has been The Inclusive Exclusive, brought to you by LA Business School. Goodbye.